Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, in the second hour of Mornings with Carmen, if you missed the first hour, you can listen to it on demand at the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. Share it with somebody else. Be a radio missionary. All right. We are celebrating life today. I'm going to celebrate the life of Curtis, and then I'm going to celebrate the life of Ron. So there you go. All right. Here's what's up. Whose life are you celebrating today? We're starting off with Curtis. Let me put it this way. Uh, No one... No one has been born this early and survived. No one has been born this young and survived. Curtis has made his way into the Guinness World Record books um, because when Curtis was born, doctors gave him zero chance of survival, which zero is not very high. Um, And yet... Curtis, who was born at just 21 weeks and one day gestation, defiled all, I mean, defied all expectations um, and is now, as I said, being recognized by Guinness World Records. So, um, you know, the prognosis for Curtis um, when he was born and actually his twin who did not survive, um, but their prognosis um, was grim. And yet even the Associated Press describes what happened as a miracle, describes this as a miracle unfolding. I got to tell you, when um, the secular media describes something as a miracle unfolding, that is an absolute invitation for Christians to lean into the conversation and say, um, you know, I actually know the one who is the creator and the giver of life. I know the miracle worker. Let me tell you, let me tell you a story about what God has done and is doing in my life. Let me tell you about the miracle I've experienced. What about the word miracle disrupts the conversations in the culture today? (laughs) It's so disruptive. I mean, when doctors are saying they're astounded to see um, a child um, who was given a zero percent chance of survival. But a child who defies all scientific odds, that's the language they're using. This child defies all scientific odds, all medical odds. Um, Curtis spent 275 days in the hospital. And, you know, he needs the kind of help that all kind uh, that all preemies need. Um, and he is still, um, he was born in July of 2020, by the way, he is still um, requiring oxygen and a feeding tube. But, you know, his prognosis is now very, very good. Um, doctors are saying things like, well, we didn't even have a blueprint to follow, so we have no blueprint to follow now. Curtis is utterly unique. There is no one else like him. So there's no one else like him. 
Curtis uh, had a, an inexplicable will to live. Now, that's probably not something he had time to develop on his own. For whatever reason, for God's good pleasure, the mystery of this miracle took place. And yes, a part of it is the miracle of modern medicine. Technology plays a role. So let's pray today for preemies out there, for parents of preemies out there, for families um, who, you know, are continuing to struggle with the challenges presented by children who are born with special needs. And let's be praying today for moms who are making decisions because there's no question that at 21 weeks of gestation, um, you know, Curtis was not protected under the law in terms of how we have tended to define um, a life that's viable outside the womb. And so if viability is the standard, Curtis has just moved the timeline back to 21 weeks and one day. How does that affect the conversation in our country about access to abortion? Who knows what God might do through the life of Curtis? Who knows what God might do through the life that he intends to deliver into the world today? All right, and also celebrating today, 88 years ago today, Ron was born. Ron is now my stepdad, and he's precious to me. So we're going to do some good news stories um, about two inspiring octogenarians up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. is back. All right, Peter, what do you know about Nimble Will, the nomad? <laughs> well, I know, first of all, that's not a, his, his real moniker, right? It's it's MJ <laughs> Eberhardt is his name. And I read Nimble Will, Nomad, and I thought, I absolutely, before I die, before I see Jesus face to face, I need some kind of moniker like that. Because okay, that, that's everybody, one of the go ahead and text in. Go yeah. ahead. Peter Kapsner would <laughs> I, like I a would moniker. I would take suggestions. I would mm -hmm. take suggestions. Uh, yeah, Elon Musk was just on his uh, Tesla Twitter feed the other day asking if he should sell all of his stock, right? So I, I need a Twitter name from, from some of our listeners. So, and Nimble Will Nomad is as good as it gets. So on the Elon Musk story, he did sell uh, 934,000 shares of Tesla stock yesterday. For $1.1 billion. Yeah, yeah. He, he acquired so, those shares that I think at like $6.24 and then was able to sell them for $1,000. My math isn't great, but that does come into the billions. That's for sure. So could you reach out to him for a tithe? I I, just... I will get you know how how um, just amazingly I trend on Twitter all the time and with my sheer volume of followers we will ex all nine of us are going to exert pressure on Elon to do just that, Carmen. I know we can do it. I just feel like that would be really good. Okay. Yeah, um, okay. So um, Nim why are we talking about Nimble Will Nomad? What did he do? Yeah. How old is he so, and what did he do? Yeah, 83 years old from Alabama, and he was the oldest person to ever complete the Appalachian Trail, which I just love that – he did this. I, I, I you know, the, it was, I'm sure, not easy. And he talked about the rigors of doing this at 83. I'm, I'm 100% confident I couldn't do it at my age. And, and the fact that he's doing a 2,193-mile hike, I, I think 
you know, we celebrate this in a lot of different ways. But I think one of the things that we could say about this is that among the, the many reasons why we're perhaps struggling as a society, why there's quite a bit of unraveling and fraying going on, is is the loss of eldership. It's the loss of the people who should be seen as among the most valuable people in society. At At, at least historically, the older you get, the more you're seen as the person who's the carrier of the story or the carrier of wisdom or the carrier of perspective, uh, people who are inspiring for the next generations um, in terms of what they would aspire to as well. And so what I love about people doing something like this is that they aren't just riding off into the sunset into some sort of retirement, which uh, retirement is a very new concept uh, in the world. And so we're losing our elders and we're losing the people that can continue to show us the way. I, I was thinking about uh, a couple, Spencer and Lois Bauer are their names, and, and they passed uh, within the last 10 years or so. But they were Hallies and my mentors. They were people of the kingdom. And they, you know, when you get 60 and 70 and 80 and 90, of course you're more limited in terms of some of your physical abilities than you might have been when you were 20, 30, or 40. But they kept pushing until the very end, not to try to prove something about themselves or not to try to to realize some individualism or something. They, they were a model that says, we're going to fight this fight in, in the language of Paul until the very last drop is squeezed out, uh, until they are poured out entirely. Uh, I just, I find those words of Paul so compelling when he talks about being poured out, he's finished the race, he's fought the fight. And they did that. And Hallie and I look to them often and say, okay, we don't know what God has in store for us, but we do know that when it is time to, to walk through those waters of death and into the fullness of life, we want it to be from a place where every last drop has been squeezed out. And and my last drops are not going to be 2,193 miles on an Appalachian Trail, but I, I do hope that that is what could be said of me, because this story, this kingdom, the, the it's also terribly real, and, and it needs to be modeled for the next generations about how you keep walking out a faithful life of discipleship, because we need elders. Oh, my word, do we need elders. That's what's held the fabrics of society together for centuries. And so I love this story of, of this guy. And again, I, but Carmen, when you and I are in our 90s, I have to have a moniker <laughs> at that point, because I'm going to be very disappointed if I don't. <laughs> So um, so here's a little info for you guys um, who are listening. Nimblewell Nomad, um, who has now become the oldest person to complete the entirety of the Appalachian Trail, took the record away from, here you go, this guy has a moniker as well, Dale <laughs> Graybeard Sanders, who lives just outside of Memphis and completed the hike at the age of 82 in 2017. Uh, Graybeard said of his friend Nimblewill Nomad um, that he's happy for him because, after all, records are made to be broken. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, it was just in August that Harvey, who's only five, completed hiking the 2,100 miles of the Appalachian Trail as well. I just feel yeah. like there's a there's a club out there that we're not in that is that's a hearty lot. <laughs> well, I remember your stories of you and Jim when you're on vacation in the mountains and uh, and, and this last summer. And let's just say <laughs> that that, yeah, that was not... a pretty aggressive situation for you. You and I will never make that club ever. Yeah, we're totally not sharing today's story with Jim. 
All right. No. Um, we're going to take a very brief break. And because I don't want to miss this one, we have an 89-year-old who finally got his Ph.D. Yeah, we're going to give um, we're going to give credit where credit is due right after the break. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner, who doles out PhDs like they're candy. No, 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 he doesn't. No, that doesn't happen, right? Manfred Steiner. Manfred Steiner had a successful and productive career as a doctor, but he always aspired to have a PhD in physics. He's 89, and he finally earned it. That's amazing. I mean, from no slouch of an institution. I mean, he got it from Brown. Yeah, no, I... I don't know if Nimblewood is more impressive with his 2,193-mile walk or if this person, Manfred Steiner, is more impressive getting getting his Ph.D. at the age of 89. And this is actually his third one, which, which in know. my mind, there's a couple things we could probably say about this. But I question his sanity just ever so slightly because the, the Ph.D. that I allegedly received just about killed me. Uh, that the I was able to cram my three-year program into seven years as I failed miserably out for my for my first thesis that I turned in in this British university. Uh, but you know, I came around and and finally got it done. And I thought, never again, right? But but this person, amazing. He wanted to study physics, and so uh, I, I think similar to Nimblewood is just this idea that you you can continue to move forward. And <clears throat> maybe you and I can't hand out PhDs, but I was thinking about it a little bit, Carmen. I've been really compelled in these last 12 months to realize the Bible has some 33,000 verses in it. And me as someone who teaches the scriptures regularly and hopefully fairly and with some depth and complexity and substance and in ways that helps equip believers, I, I think I could probably teach off the cuff somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 or 2,000 passages of scripture in a way that would get into some of the original languages and some of the context and, and try to try to bring those to light. So that amount of verses sounds like a lot, but that is really only about five or seven percent of the text. And what you and I should create an institution where we just we give out PhDs for for Bible and and just all the listeners can. Now it's not going to be accredited, of course, coming from me and you, but uh, but we could give out PhDs. There's so many verses out there. Can you imagine if we had a community filled with 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 the carmination? They all had their monikers and they were all studying different passages of scripture, and and we just got a collective PhD that 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 just got awarded to all of us because we could each take a, an entire book of the Bible and and spend a few years in that. Newton is going to stump me forever. I'm never going to get a PhD in physics, but right? but this whole thing with the, with the scriptures would be amazing. Yeah, no, Newton is. Yeah. I I have never understood any of those laws and why they work the way they do. His uh, his most recent dissertation, um, corrections to the geometrical interpretation of bosonization. I don't know what boso. <laughs> I've always puzzled over that. Yeah, that that's is been it a, a boso? Is it like a ball? I don't know. Okay. Um, All right. That's all we got. I do like this part of the story. Apparently, you know, he's been teaching at Brown in addition to getting his Ph.D. in physics at Brown. And he says that most notable among his students is that they think he sounds like the Terminator. (laughs) That's it. That's what he. Yeah. That's what he says of himself. I'm like, okay. so all of this is to give honor to my stepdad, Ron, who turns 88 today. Which is, you know, it's notable and it makes me think about Moses and it makes me think about the fact that God is not finished with you. Um, if you're in your 80s, you know, it's possible that your ministry opportunities have just begun. Right. right? We just talked about a guy who um, hiked the Appalachian Trail. He had, he had 
tons of encounters with other hikers over the 20 some years that it took him to do this. Um, and and just think about each one of those was a divine appointment, an opportunity for ministry. I don't know that he capitalized on that. That's not captured anywhere in this. But um, uh, but just think about the opportunities that we have when we're walking with other people in the wilderness. That's literally what Moses did. Um, yeah. So there you go. This is just my thoughts for the day. No, I love that. And and just last night in the um, in the afternoon show with Bill, as we're doing our Old Testament series every Wednesday, it was it was such a fun episode because he had Bill T. Arnold on from Asbury Theological Seminary. So it was Bill Arnold and and Bill Arnold and and Bill T. Arnold from Asbury brought us into the life of Moses, as you described. And and of course, that is among the most compelling features of both Moses and Abraham and Sarah that uh, at these ages in which they were that. That was when all of a sudden they had been prepared, prepared and equipped for something that was very significant. And Bill T. Arnold really teased that out in the episode yesterday, uh, at the at the first fifteen to twenty minutes about God preparing us for the call that maybe He will have for us at really any stage in life. And so for Moses to be eighty years old, and then to to be walking along the trails as he's a shepherd, and suddenly see this bush burning and and the voice of God speaking to him about what he was called to do, where. We're never actually put out to pasture, Carmen, until we breathe those those last moments. And, and then it's time to lay down the burdens. Then it's time to be welcomed to our actual home and uh, and, and to be hear these words well done. But until that time, let's keep looking for the burning bushes and, and see where God may have us as, as we walk towards that. Uh, Jacqueline, happy birthday. Um, Peter Capster and I love you enough to not sing to you. She's, she was glad to learn that it was Ron's birthday because she's now discovered another birthday twin. And so I have said happy birthday, but we love you enough to not sing to you. <clears throat> yeah, okay. for sure. That, what? that That is a well-judged Carmen, for sure. Yeah. Yes. So we have like, I know, only one minute, which is ridiculous to, to discuss this next topic. But here's the deal. What we find funny and what we laugh at says a lot about us. Um, can you just comment on that? Yeah, that that article quickly was about somebody who was doing a comedic sketch on abortion. And I just that's troubling to me, Carmen. I think, you know, when when we're walking in ways that are antithetical to God's kingdom, you you can do a few different things. You can repent and and that would be the most important thing to do. And and you can walk through the the pain and, and the sorrow and the humility of that repentance in a way that brings you back to life. Or you can kind of just try to explain it away in a variety of ways. And and one of the ways in which we try to take the power out of something that should have power to to impact us, abortion, uh, abortion should impact us. And I appreciated that in the article that it talked about the impact that it has. When you try to humorize that, you're trying to strip it of its power, thus entering into the deceit about what's going on. And so... That was concerning to me when when we try to humor away some of these really important things. And, and you and I are not curmudgeons by any stretch. We laugh very easily, as, as I think unencumbered people should. But at the same time, there are certain things that you take with which is utmost seriousness. And, and so mm-hmm. that was concerning to me. Yeah, I um, I was searching for um, something that I know C.S. Lewis said about the seriousness of life um, and yeah. and the things that make us laugh, but I couldn't I couldn't put my hands on it, my fingers on it. So, um, yeah, so thank you. Let's be thinking today when the world is laughing at things, let's be asking ourselves, is is that funny? Should should mm. my heart think that's funny? Um, let's yeah. actually 
let's actually consider, give some consideration to the things that make us laugh and whether or not that's a place where our hearts need to be uh, realigned with God. All right, Peter Kapsner, as always, thank you. What a joy. What a joy. Love hanging out with you guys, Carmen. It's so great. Likewise. All right, that's Dr. Peter Kapsner. You can follow him on Twitter, but it it makes no sense to do so because he doesn't tweet. All right, we're going to take a break. I need 11 followers. For Breakpoint. Or you could study Shakespeare and be quite elite And you could charm the critics and have nothing to eat Just slip on a banana peel, the world's at your feet Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh That was so good. You can go listen to it again at breakpoint.org. The problem with Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse is what you'd be looking for uh, yeah, that's that's worth listening to again. Um, technology is to be used in service of the advancement of the gospel. Um, and so what does it look like for us to use technology, use technology, um, and not be sort of redefined or used by it? It's just such great stuff. All right, um, next up, Ruth Goring. She is, among other things, the author of Isaiah and the Worry Pack. So what are you worried about? What worries kids today? What are kids worried about? And how do we help them unpack that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Do you think the odds are against you that even God is against you? If so, ponder the plight of Haman and the outcome of Mordecai in the book of Esther. God flip-flopped their stories. Haman began the day large and in charge. Mordecai began the day praying in the shadow of a gallows that bore his name. Yet, from one moment to the next, Haman was humiliated and Mordecai was given the keys to the city. The next time you hear someone say, the devil is in the details, correct them. God is in the details. He works in the small moments. The insignificant becomes significant because he is ever orchestrating the day-to-day details of innumerable lives through a millennia of time to do what he has foreordained to do. This is a new Joining us now, Ruth Goring. She joins us today as the author of Isaiah and the Worry Pack. Ruth, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. I'm so thankful and glad to be here. I know. So I could read your whole bio, but then it would like take away some of the fun um, that (laughs) I want to have in exploring your childhood a little bit later in our conversation. So let's start with this. It's a book. This is a children's book written for um, to be read to, and then I think as they get older, read by um, kids who are like four to eight. So talk about the sweet spot um, in terms of to whom this is written and why worry is an issue um, that needs to be addressed with them. Well, um, it is a range of ages. Um, I I heard that my um, three-year-old grandnephew is just fascinated with the book. So um, it can be children who are a little old, uh, younger and a little older as well. Um, 
it, it actually is based on an experience I had with my son when he was around 10. So um, older children can have, can be interested in the um, struggle and the experience that the character Isaiah has in the story as well. But the, the language and the um, approach is very appropriate for four to eight year olds and, and beyond. <laughs> so and that's so good. So let's, worry, yeah, let's talk about worry. Yeah, in terms of worry, I don't think that most parents discount their children's anxieties. I think most parents have especially become aware of them during the pandemic and and beyond um, as as children um, experience real changes in their lives because of this big thing that's been happening around the whole world. And um, of course, even without a pandemic, children have normal worries like um, getting along at school and wearing the right clothes depending on their milieu. Um, and, and then bigger worries sometimes family finances um, affect the way that they feel about the world. They um, pick up on things from their parents. Um, or, of course, sometimes families break apart or seem to be on the verge of that, and that brings a lot of anxiety to children. So they they worry too. They It's not just uh, we adults who worry, and I think that parents are very aware of that and really need a tool, and or actually multiple tools, to help the children respond and, and manage their really difficult feelings. All right. So the, the, the story and the book um, are Isaiah and the Worry Pack, and we do have copies of the book to give away today. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies of Isaiah and the Worry Pack that we have here in studio, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. One of the things, Ruth, that you do in the book is um, what we'll call guided imagery. So what is guided imagery and what role does it play in Isaiah and the Worry Pack? It, uh, guided imagery or guided meditation is a kind of prayer. And it doesn't have the word prayer in, in it. So um, some people may be unfamiliar with it. Um, but I learned about it during a really hard time in my own life when I was just longing to be closer to God and to be reassured about um, my life and about just um, the need to, to know that I'm that I was loved. And uh, mm. so I had experienced it myself. The idea is that you um, you get really quiet and then somebody helps you initiate just an inner experience where you um, come to a, a, a place that makes you feel peaceful. And then Jesus is invited into that space and is, um, and, and then you wait to see in your imagination what Jesus does or what Jesus says. That's the, that's the simple outline of it. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of um, content, contemplative or meditative prayer that um, relies on the imagination um, and it seems maybe a little woo-woo to some people who aren't used to um, experiencing that in prayer. But um, I can tell you that Jesus, you know, the Jesus of, of the Bible, the Jesus that we worship and know, um, often 
does come does come to those who practice this kind of prayer. And it's yes. it's very um, profound because it gets it gets to us um, below the rational just thinking part of ourselves, and it gets into our feelings and our um, our experience of ourselves, our doubts, and our anxieties, and um, and then it it is transformative often. There's a um, there's just this really delightful scoot over and let's talk about it um, reality of this book. Um, you know, Isaiah is he can't sleep. Um, he thinks insomnia is something other than maybe it is. Um, you know, scoot over and let's talk about it is is also this invitation for the way I might sit and read this book as a non-anxious presence with a child in my life. You know, I'm kind of hoping, Ruth, that there's like a contagious power of the peace that I experience um, that, you know, might actually kind of rub off uh, during the conversation. So just talk about that. Talk about the power of this as a shared experience between the adult and the child. Yeah. Um, the adult in the experience um, comes into it with uh, just an openness, and an openness to hear the child and to um, not judge or try to change the child's feelings, not to persuade them that, oh, they don't really need to worry, but to validate their, their worries and to respond to it um, in a way that honors their feelings. Um, and that's what's modeled by mom, <laughs> the, the other character, the, the other um, character in the framing story of Isaiah and the worried pack. And so um, the mom actually, you know, has the experience with the child because um, in this case, you know, this does not have to be done in guided imagery prayer. It, um, you don't have to narrate out loud what's happening. It can be completely internal, but because it's, it's happening in a dialogue with her son, she actually um, experiences the encounter with Jesus as well. And she is interested and surprised uh, at some points by what Jesus says and does. And um, so the, the experience really is shared. I have had a number of folks tell me in the last couple of weeks, as, as some folks have been reading the book uh, prior to the release, that they themselves as adults are comforted and, are, and feel um, and feel seen and loved by God as they read the book and and experience this kind of prayer themselves. So it really is a shared experience, and um, you know you know how God is. Um, God's love surprises us by how generous and how completely present it is to us in our hardship. Absolutely. All right, we're talking with Ruth Goring. You can find her at ruthgoringbooks.com. The book we're talking about today, Isaiah and the Worry Pack. And yep, we're giving away copies from our friends over at IVP Kids. So text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you have a child who's suffering with some anxiety and some worry, 
this is a really good read with book, read to book, and then, you know, read to self book as they get a little bit older. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, we're talking with Ruth Goring. The book is Isaiah and the Worry Pack. And for those of you concerned that uh, the guided meditation we're talking about is some new age nonsense, it's not. It's really um, uh, sitting with your child and helping them learn to pray and learn to um, give the things that burden them over to the Lord. Um, And yeah, specifically Jesus. So... uh, those of you concerned about that, yeah, you can not worry about that any longer. The book is Amen. Isaiah and the Worry Pack, um, and um, we're talking with the author, Ruth Goring, who's also the illustrator. So I want to talk with you, Ruth, about your um, what some people might consider your unusual childhood. Where did you grow up, and what might have been some of the things you worried about when you were a kid? Um, let me say quickly first that I'm not the illustrator of this book. Um, IVP Kids contracted Pamela White, um, and she just did a beautiful job of making you know, very I know that now that I look at the cover, don't I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very evocative, gentle illustrations. I, ha- I did illustrate a previous book, though. I um, grew up from the age of six in Colombia, South America. Yeah, not the city, Colombia, here in the United States. Um my parents were missionaries there. So I had um, that that kind of childhood where you're, you're living kind of between cultures because we always lived just in regular neighborhoods with people there, um, not in a Central American enclave or compound. Um, and so my, uh, my first boyfriend was Colombian as a, as a young teen. Um, and I learned to play the guitar there. So mainly what I can play okay on the guitar are Latin pop songs from, from my era. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we were studying with a U.S. curriculum, books that my mother had brought over um, with, um, with us. And uh, so we were maintaining our U.S. sort of training um, that way. And... Um, I would not trade the experience for anything. And in terms of worry, (laughs) um, I was not an extremely anxious child myself, thank God, um, because there were lots of things to worry about, whether it would be um, um, snakes in the yard, extremely poisonous coral snakes, um, or whether it might be... um, um, something much more serious like um, uh, sexual abuse, experiencing sexual, sexual abuse, um, which several of us did as children. And I want to say that's not because we were in Colombia. It can, ha- it, as you know, it happens here um, as well. It happens anywhere in the world where there are fallen uh, people, which is everywhere. <laughs> um, but my um, my faith in Jesus, which I had uh, which I had had since I was just a toddler, um, welcomed into the faith by my mother, um, 
was part of getting me through that, even though, of course, I didn't have this 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 practice of prayer that is modeled in the book. Um, but but yeah, it's not exactly the same worries necessarily in all and that a child in most parts of the U.S. would have. Um, <laughs> but I remember when um, my one of my sisters came to me and she said, "Chrissy and I have a have a, a good technique for going out to the outhouse because we mm. lived at that time in a very remote part of the country and we didn't have indoor plumbing." Um, we, uh, what we do, she said, is that we sing that, that Psalm 23 hymn as we go out there. We sing it out loud as we're walking out there and then coming back, and it really helps. So here, here we were as children discovering that singing uh, a comforting hymn that comes from the Bible can uh, help us really feel God's presence so that we were less fearful. And um, I, I, that is one of my precious memories of my sisters, um, that they shared that, that technique with me. And I have actually continued to use it as an adult in um, some very scary situations. That is so good. I love that. Um, I, it made me think of, um, who wrote Whistling in the Dark? Does that, does that sound familiar to you at all? I can't I can't remember um, off the top of my head who wrote it, but it was such a great, um, just a great book in terms of um, precisely what you're talking about. Like, how do we, even in dark places, maybe it was Frederick Buechner, um, because it was a a whole book about doubt. um, And in it, he, he talks about this practice that he learned as a child which was to whistle in the dark, which is exactly what you're, you know, what you're describing in terms of singing the 23rd Psalm. Um, so it's just, it's, it's lovely. It's very, very helpful. Um, all right, yes, Ruth, I, thank you. I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just said, I, I do believe it was Beekner. You're right. Yeah, right. I think, yeah, such a good, it's just such a good reminder. All right. Well, we look forward to, um, the follow on. I'm sure that Isaiah and the worry pack will have, um, will have other stories to complement it along the way as well. It's an excellent way to equip and empower our kids with spiritual practices, um, you know, that are faithful and also fruitful. So thank you so much for Isaiah and the Worry Pack and joining us today for such an important conversation. And thank you for your transparency um, because the things that did worry you as a child actually do worry a lot of kids today. So thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you, Carmen. I'm just delighted to be with you. Likewise. It's an honor. Likewise. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. That's Ruth Goring. You can find her online at ruthgoringbooks.com. We are giving away copies of Isaiah and the Worry Pack. If you'd like to enter the drawing um, to receive one of those, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. All right. I've been having a really uh, fun back and forth with, uh, uh, with, it's either Jane or Ashley. I don't know. They're plugged in as the same person on our text line. Um, talking about how the supply chain disruption um, might change the way, in a positive way, we think about gift giving this Christmas. So if you have thoughts on that, I'm open to hearing them. Um, What are you going to do differently in your approach to gift giving this holiday season? Um, Because, you know, frankly, maybe the stuff that everybody wants 
isn't even available. Like it might be on their wish list, but you know, it might be June before you can get it. So are you approaching it differently this year? Um, you know, we've had conversations in the past about redirecting all of our um, financial giving at Christmas to something else. Alternative gift giving is a big thing for lots of families. We do stuff where we just give, we essentially give the produce of, um, of the bounty of the harvest we've had in the year past. I know we're unique in that. What unique things are you doing in your approach to gift giving this holiday season? I'd love to know. You can email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll take this up as a subject matter in a later show. And thank you um, uh, to Jane and to Ashley for the inspiration. All right. Thanks for being here today. We'll be right back here tomorrow. In the meantime, you can check out what's going on at MyFaithRadio.com. You can share the show with somebody else. You can listen to a portion of it you might have missed. It is always available on the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com. It is Veterans Day. Let's be sure and say thank you to our veterans today and do something good that glorifies God. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.